1807, just a few years ago, right? 1807, a man named Robert Morrison landed in China, and he began to translate the scriptures uh, into the Chinese language with the help of a Chinese man who had a limited English vocabulary. Well, as they started kind of working through, uh, he discovered that Chinese uses more than 200 word pictures uh, in order to, uh, to create words. Uh, and when they got to the word righteous, uh, something really pretty cool happened. Uh, he asked how uh, it would be translated in Chinese. And when his uh, counterpart wrote the word in Chinese, Robert saw him use two symbols. On the top was a picture of a lamb. And on the bottom was the symbol for I. In other words, the first person singular. So in 1807, when the Chinese were writing the word righteous, what they were writing were the symbols that mean the lamb over me. See, Jesus is the lamb of God. And we know that today, and we celebrate that today in a remarkable way. And here we are, we're kind of drawing to a close on this series we've been in uh, for the last uh, four weeks, tonight being the fifth week, the Gospel BC, or the Gospel Before Christ. And uh, we began uh, going all the way back uh, to creation, uh, where the first, first gospel, the first good news of Jesus was proclaimed. And it was, it was actually proclaimed to Satan. It was proclaimed to the enemy. It was proclaimed to the serpent uh, who had tempted Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve's eyes were opened to good versus evil, the promise was God promised Jesus. He promised that he was going to send the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And so in the very beginning, God promised Jesus before Christ ever even walked this earth. Then we studied the promise that he made to Abraham, the covenant that he made between Abraham uh, and himself or between humanity and himself. And the promise is that it, it points to the cross. When God made a covenant and promised Abraham that he would bless everyone through Abraham and Abraham's offspring, God promised to take our punishment. He promised that whether we kept up the end of the bargain or not, he would still take the punishment for the sin of the world. Unheard of in covenant relationships. And of course, he proved good on that. Then we saw the death, burial, and resurrection through Jonah, the prophet Jonah, who was swallowed up by a big old fish uh, and then yacked onto dry land. We saw the death, burial, and resurrection through him. And we also learned the good news is that faith in God leads to life transformation. And we, we recognize that, man, yeah, if you were swallowed by a big fish and, and, and confessed to the Lord, and then all of a sudden you, it would lead to life transformation for sure. We know that. And then last week we studied this story of Naaman uh, and how he learned the good news or he learned the gospel that God's heart is for all people. Somebody who had zero reason for God to love them. He learned that God's heart is for all people. We also learned two truths last week that through the story of Naaman, God's favor can't be bought or manipulated. You can't manipulate God into getting what you want. You can't manipulate God into God's favor on your life. 
And so a question for you today, last week we talked about a transactional relationship versus a relational relationship. What did you find this week? Did you find that you tend to kind of run in more of a transactional type relationship with the Lord or from a relationship? Do you find yourself where it's, it's like, if I do this for you, then you do that for me? Or if, if, if you do this for me, then I'll do that for you? You know, kind of like the way things work here on this earth or did you do it differently where you recognize that God just wants to spend time with you? Whether the words are challenging or not, you just recognize that God just wants you just to be in relationship with you, to be able to pour out his love on you, whether you return that love or not. That's relationship. Giving 100% and expecting nothing in return. That's who God is. That's how God started things and how we're called to do similarly. Well, we're finished. Well, we're not quite finishing up. Next week, we'll finish up. But we're on the, we're on the, the tail end here with a pretty big one tonight. Uh, this is a pretty major gospel before Christ. It is painting the picture in a remarkable way. Uh, uh, before we kind of get there, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, all right? Paul declares that Christ is our Passover lamb. Now, you may be kind of thinking, I don't understand. What is the Passover lamb? You may have heard the word Passover before. You know what a lamb is. You know we talked a while ago that the lamb of God, that's who Jesus is. He encouraged, Paul also encouraged all believers, all people who are following the person of Jesus, encouraged all believers to celebrate the festival of Passover. Well, if you didn't grow up Jewish, then you probably don't know what the festival of Passover is. And so we're going to work through the gospel before Christ through what happened in Exodus. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter uh, 12. Uh, But there's this massive claim that Paul was writing because the Passover, it is arguably the most significant holidays for Jews on this earth. It was the most significant when Paul was alive. It's still the most significant today. Passover is the start of the Jewish calendar. For Jews, time itself is oriented around Passover. And what Paul says is that the good news of Jesus was foreshadowed in the significant historical moment that we understand and know as Passover. And so what we're going to discover tonight, this key truth, maybe it's a rediscover for you or a discover for the first time. Jesus's death protects us from death. This is an outlandish claim. It's a crazy thing to say. Folks might think you're nuts to say things like that because all living things die, don't they? All living things. It's 100%. All living things die. If you aren't real good with plants, you kill them early. Right? I mean, if you're really good with plants, maybe you can merge them together and do all kinds of stuff. But we know all living things die. And so how in the world can a person claim that Jesus' death protects us from death? We'll get there in a moment. Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 13. The first six verses give us some instructions for what the Jewish people would do with the lamb that they were going to be sacrificing. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Here's your calendar year, right? Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. 
one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that there are. You're to determine the amount of the lamb that is needed in order in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose, the lambs you choose, must be year-old males without defect. We'll come back to that without defect in a second. And you may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, let's go back to that without defect thing because this is a big deal uh, in the Passover. The lamb is to be unblemished. In other words, the Hebrew word, this original language for without defect uh, or unblemished, it means it must be complete. It must be perfect. Now, in finding this perfect lamb to sacrifice, if we fast forward into the New Testament, God was guiding all of humanity. He was projecting, he was forecasting today back in this time. All of humanity was projecting to the day when the perfect lamb would be sacrificed for the sins, not just of one family, but of the entire world. See, this Passover was one family. God was going to send the Passover lamb for the entire world. Now, it wasn't just Jesus' physical appearance that made him perfect. It wasn't just the unblemished nature of his physique or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus was perfect because he was without sin. That's what made Jesus perfect. He was without sin. And so through that lens, let's pick up in verse 7. Take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So each family, as they sacrificed this lamb, they were to take the lifeblood or they were to take the life of the animal, and they take the blood and they paint it on the door frames of their houses. The blood, which was unknown at that time, it was a sign. It was a sign not only pointing to the moment in which they were in right there, but it also was pointing to the blood that would be spilt for the forgiveness of sin for all of humanity. It was pointing to the blood that Jesus would spill. So verse 11, or, or verse 12, we fast forward to verse 12. The instructions are, on that same night, I will pass through, God, I will pass through Egypt, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, here it is, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The blood of the lamb, the life of the lamb, it was sufficient. It was sufficient as a sacrifice to turn away the angel of death. Now, this is huge foreshadowing. Yes, literally in that moment, turning away the angel of death, that every firstborn male was going to lose his life, except for if you had this blood on the doorframe of your house. The animal was a substitute. 
It was a substitute for the firstborn that God demanded. We pick back up in verse 14. This is a day, this Passover is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. We know that because of this, this is the moment in which Israel was set free. They were no longer enslaved by Egypt. The name for the holiday Passover, of course, comes from the celebration that the blood of the lamb on the, on the floor helped the angel of death to pass over their home. And this is the good news, where we see this sacrifice. We see the, the lamb that was slain. We see the Passover that was to be celebrated. We know that Jesus is the lamb of God. We know that Jesus, when he was sacrificed, no coincidence, he was crucified during Passover. So this is not anything that was like just thrown together. This was calculated, calculated foreshadowing of Jesus before Jesus ever walked this earth. Jesus before Jesus ever was strung upon a cross. Jesus before Jesus ever overcame death, which allows us to make some pretty outlandish statements as a Christ-following group of people. And that's why Paul celebrates this ridiculous thing, this ridiculous phrase, celebrating the end of pain that is brought about by death. It's the, he's celebrating it. Look, listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. And here's your phrase, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Why does death hurt? Sting of death is sin. The pain of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' death protects us from death. The Passover, the lamb, protects us from death, where we transition from this world into paradise. Now, the truth is, we know these bodies that we have, they're decaying. Some of ours, we can recognize that greater than others. We see that the body ain't what it used to be. You can see it. You experience it. You feel it. It's not something that's going to last forever. But who we are will last forever, either being united in paradise with our Heavenly Father or forever and ever separated from the love of God, never to be able to receive it. It's one or the other. And our soul will last for all eternity in one way or another. Jesus' death protects us from eternal separation from God, the death of life, the death of even the possibility of relationship with God. Now, some of you guys may remember this. Um, others in this room, you won't remember this, but during the 1950s, in America, there were students that learned nuclear preparedness, all right? So the instructions are, in the event that there's a threat, 
you are to huddle underneath the wooden desks in your classroom. Remarkable, right? I mean, because clearly those wooden desks were going to protect you from nuclear attacks. You know what we learned in that time? We learned that the power of the instruction is found in the one giving the instruction. We learned that a few years ago, too. The power of the instruction is found in the one giving the instruction. So, in a similar way, how was blood over a door supposed to protect the Israelites from death? Well, because unlike the one giving instructions to crouch under the desk, God has the power to protect and to completely transform people. Very similar outlandish kind of statement, but God has the power to follow through. God has the power to protect. He has the power to completely transform people. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, believers have hope. We have hope of eternal life in communion with the Lord. And so when we read the gospel before Christ ever walked this earth, and we, we read it through the Passover, we read it through the story of this angel, of this, this horrible story. So much blood, so much pain, so much difficulty. And we can see the beauty of the gospel in all of that death. Man, thanks be to God, we don't live during that time, right? I'm so thankful that we live on this side of the cross. But man, I'm quite sure. Can you imagine what the Egyptians were saying about the Israel, Israelites around the time they started sacrificing their very best animals? And then they not only said, we're going to sacrifice our very best, the most complete, the most whole, but we're, we're, we're going to actually take their blood and we're going to we're going to paint our houses with it. I mean, what Looney Tunes do that? I mean, can you imagine being Egyptian at that time and you hear that? You're like, what? Man, these people, slavery is really, they've lost it. Like, they're, they're doing some crazy stuff. It's no different than today. It's no different than people thinking that Christ followers have lost their mind because they think praying a prayer guarantees them eternal life, guarantees them heaven. It's nothing, nothing, I mean, it's no different than the ridiculous claims of Christ followers that say Christ's death protects us from death. There's a lot of folks that they think you're kooky. They think I'm kooky. And I am to a certain degree. I'm sure it seemed too good to be true to a lot of Israelites that were following the commands of the Passover. I'm sure that it seemed too good to be true that the simple act of faith to trust God with their lives. I'm sure it seemed too good to be true that it would transform their lives forever, but it did. 
There's no denying that it did. And so perhaps you're either here tonight and you've either experienced it or are still experiencing that this story of Jesus, this gospel, this good news of who Jesus is, it may just be too good to be true. With all the choices you've made in life, with all the hurts that you've caused and all that you are ashamed of, why in the world would God love you? It's a valid question. And the answer is real simple. Because it's not about you being perfect. It's not about you making all the right decisions and all the right choices. It's not about you doing all the right things. It's not about you at all. It's about Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the way to hope. Jesus is the way to the good news that all of Scripture points to. Old Testament, New Testament, every single piece of Scripture is proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the gospel before Christ, after Christ, everything in between. Because here's the bottom line. You can never be good enough to deserve heaven, but Jesus is. And when you have Christ in you, you get heaven. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough good. You can never do enough right to deserve heaven. But Christ is. Christ is enough. And that's where the focus must be. Focus on anything else, it changes the whole deal. Because inevitably, it becomes about us. It's not about us. The former USSR was a militant atheist country. President H.W. Bush, he attended the funeral uh, for the USSR leader, Brezhnev, I believe is how you say his last name. And years later, he commented, he commented on how that country was devoid of all hope. There was no hope in the country. They didn't believe that God existed at all. Yet, When the leader's widow passed the coffin, she paused and she traced the sign of the cross on it. Even in the darkest of dark, the light of the world is there. We have to see this. Outside of Jesus, there is no hope when it comes to facing the angel of death. No hope at all. But with Jesus, death changes. There's no fear in death. When it comes to Jesus, there is no fear of death. We've seen it over the last six weeks. We've seen this. God promised Jesus. God sent Jesus. Jesus crushed Satan. And Jesus overcame sin and death so that we can live in the here and now today and we can live for all eternity in this anointed, full relationship with God. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's how life changes. It's how the game changes, how the rules change, how God's economy begins to impact our economy in a way that brings freedom. It, 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 it makes things make sense. And there's peace. It's the good news. It's the gospel. 
Yes, we miss people on this side. Absolutely, we grieve the loss of people we love so deeply. But have you ever been to a funeral for somebody who was not a Christ follower? And as you sit in that audience or you pass by the family, it's tough. Maybe you've been in that funeral and, man, they start talking about the person and you're like, who the heck are they talking about? They're making this person sound like they were the most remarkable, loving, amazing person ever. They were a turkey. You ever been there before where you're like, man, and now they're claiming they're in heaven and all this stuff. You're like, what? And then have you ever been to a funeral for somebody that's a Christ follower? Even when life ends too soon. And as you're at a funeral for somebody who's, it's different, isn't it? Because death changes for the person who follows Jesus. Because there's hope. There's hope. There's hope in a glad reunion. There's hope in this beautiful reality that no more pain, no more suffering. A full body experiencing the splendor of heaven. It's a joyous celebration, even in the most tragic circumstances. See, that's the gospel. Everything changes when Jesus becomes the Lord and Savior of our lives. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The gospel before, the gospel after Christ came to this earth. And so here's what it comes down to. May we receive forgiveness. You can't do enough good. Just receive Jesus. Receive forgiveness. Let go of sin and shame. And then let's follow Jesus together. When we don't overcomplicate it, it works out. Father, we love you. And we're, we're so thankful, Lord, for this, this, not just story, but this moment in time that happened. Lord, this tragic, difficult, dark hour of humanity here on this earth. And Lord, in the darkest of moments, you were there. Not only, Lord, were you there, but you were forecasting, you were foreshadowing, you were shining your light into things to come. You were pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. And Father, as we are on this side of the cross, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that death was swallowed up in victory. We thank you, Lord, that death changed forever through the Lamb of God. We thank you, Lord, that, that life changed forever. Fear gets cast aside because of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we sit and we stand here tonight in this space and we know the bad news is we can't do enough good. And Lord, we thank you for moments like this in time where we get reminded it's not about us doing enough good. It's about the fact that Jesus is good. And Lord, you long for us to align our lives with Jesus. 
And as we receive Jesus into our life, we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord, and we believe in our heart that you really did raise him from the dead, Lord, we are saved from the fear of death. We are saved from the fear of eternal separation from you. We are saved from sin and shame. And Lord, we get heaven. Lord, there is no greater news that we can receive tonight. And so, Lord, across this room tonight, there's people that they've known this for years and years and years. They've experienced it and know that it's not too good to be true. There's other people across this room, Lord, that they're trying to figure out whether this really is too good to be true because it just seems so simple. And, Lord, I pray that you would just light your truth. Just turn on the light bulb, Lord, and let them see you for who you really are. Let them see your truth. Let them see you and experience you in a way that is undeniable. And Lord, maybe they be set free from the, the economy of this world. And Lord, may they embrace your economy. May they be set free from the keeping up with the Joneses. And Lord, may they simply follow you. Father, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you. Lord, as we celebrate Passover, we celebrate Jesus, the Passover lamb, sacrificed the week of Passover. Lord, may we receive you and may you transform May you transform life forever. Lord, help us not overcomplicate it and let us just follow you. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen.